Um, so I want to ask you a question today as we talk about sheeple. Have you ever done anything just because everybody else was doing it? I know I, I probably have, and I uh, always found out it was a big mistake. One of the th mistakes I made was what, back when I was in college, I hung out with some pre-med students, or some medical students. They were going to Oklahoma Osteopathic College, and every single one of them bought a Volkswagen Rabbit. They were new cars in those days. And they were telling me what a wonderful car that was, and I should buy one too, so I did. I looked just like that. It was a two-door, had a four-speed transmission and a little tiny engine in it, but it was fun to drive. And boy, when I bought that thing, I thought that was a great car. But it didn't end up that way. You know, they had carburetors in them yet. And for those of you who don't know how carburetors work, they work kind of like a toilet. They've got a tank that the gas goes in, and then there's a little needle valve that lets the gas out into the engine. And on Volkswagen, on that particular model, that needle valve would get gummed up and then shut the gas off. So you'd be going down the interstate, all of a sudden your car would shut off. And then you have to have it towed in, and you know the Volkswagen dealer charged you an arm and a leg to, put, to repair the carburetor. So I decided I was going to figure out how to do it myself, which I did, because in those days I worked on my cars myself. And so what I did was I kept a carburetor kit, for those of you who are mechanically inclined and ancient, remember what carburetor kits are, and a, a um, tube of Permatex so that I could put a new needle valve in right on the side of the road. I, I did that several times in rainstorms, everything, put in a new needle valve. Got to the point where I hated that car. But all my friends had them, so it had to be good. The, one of the fellows was, was aspiring to be an allergist, and he developed a Volkswagen allergy. And another one of these guys was aspiring to be a surgeon, and he got really good at, at putting in carburetor kits. So that was kind of a good thing. And the car had bad brakes, too. For those of you who know brakes, it had four-wheel drum brakes hung over from the Beetle yet. And every 10,000 miles or so, you had to put new drums on. It was a horrible car. So I learned my lesson, my first and last Volkswagen there. And if you drive a Volkswagen, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but I hated that car. I had a buddy in South Dakota who said, you know, if everybody else is running, you better walk. And if everybody else is walking, that's the time for you to run. And he ran his business that way. He was a farmer, rancher type guy, and he did extremely well by not following the crowd. Now, I want to ask you, what fads have you bought into that you later regretted? Do you think of something right off the top of your head? You know, when I was in high school in the early 70s, everybody that was cool smoked cigarettes. We could buy cigarettes at the gas station out of a vending machine. They were 40 cents a pack. Not what are they, eight bucks now? But the, higher than eight? What do you pay for them? Oh. <laughs> $12.50 a pack. At a gas station in Minnesota. Well, Minnesota's always high. But, you know, yeah, that's $12.50 a pack. That, all the Hollanders are going to quit. But, you know, a lot of folks got really sick from it. A lot of people died who were into smoking cigarettes in those days. And today... The trend is whole foods. 
And you go to these stores, you know, and they serve organic food. And organic just means that there can be as many insects in it as you want. And I know my, my daughter's into it. I've been in two Whole food stores. I've been in one in Park City, Utah, and one in Chicago. And now my daughter calls those stores whole paycheck foods because they're so expensive. But uh, people go in there and, and buy food. And, and to me, it, you know, uh, being raised by someone who raised food, I think it's kind of silly. And then here's another fad that's going around right now. Kombucha. I tried some of that when I was visiting Salt Lake City sometime, some time ago. And, you know, you open up the bottle. And it kind of reminded me of home because it smelled just like going past Coopersville with that you know, nasty smell there. That's what it, I don't know. I took one swallow of it and I gave it away because I couldn't drink that stuff. I mean, there is no amount of vodka that would make kombucha taste good, okay? It is nasty, nasty stuff, but some people really like it. And they say with my digestive issues, well, I should drink that stuff. I said, I'd rather have the digestive issues. But some fads are harmless. Some are harmful. Some things that are not really okay, we go along with because everybody's doing it. Like cheating on our taxes, or aggressive driving, or perhaps the most lethal one is gossip and slander. You know, the contemporary term for that is tribalism, where we, we hate those who see things differently than us. Well, the Bible has something to say about going along with the crowd. And I'm using Paul's writing in Ephesians chapter 4 today. And I'm using the message paraphrase just because I sit down and compare translations, and I think the message captures the intent of Paul in the Greek language. So this is how it works from Ephesians chapter 4. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd, They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch, not only with him, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. So it's pretty strong language. He says, don't go along with the crowd, because the crowd is empty-headed and mindless. Talks about how people have refused to deal with God. They've lost touch with Him. They've lost touch with, <coughs> with reality. And that's not a good place to be because they don't feel pain when they hurt somebody. They don't feel bad about it. And once that happens to you, you've lost touch with God. So be glad if it bothers you, if you find out you hurt someone, because then God is still connected to you. But for some folks, they lost that touch, and it's hard to get that back. Now, Paul's encouraging as he goes on with this passage. He says, but that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you've paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. 
So everything that the mindless crowd does has to go. Can't be a part of our lives. We've got to get rid of it. Been going through an exercise in getting rid of things lately because we found a bunch of mold in our basement. Man, I found stuff I forgot that I had. There's mold on the carpet. There's mold on the ceiling. There's mold on stuff. I hauled away two trailer loads of junk just out of there, and I thought, well, we should sell this stuff, and I was quickly reprimanded for that. We are not the kind of people that sell that kind of stuff, so get rid of it. So I did, and we're not done. I bet I've got a couple more trailer loads to get rid of. All has to go. What Paul's saying here is get rid of that old way of life, the selfish way. And it's so good to get rid of it. But that's not what the crowd does. But you in Christ have no need to hang on to, to cling to the crowd's way of life. Here's what, here's what Paul says about that. He goes, it's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. You know, let God reform you. You're all part of a reformed church. It shouldn't be reformed in the past tense. It should be reforming in the present tense. Let God be changing you as it goes. I'm a senior citizen, and I find that God has to change me all the time still. Now you ask the question, well, what does that look like to be reforming? Well, I'm glad you asked because Paul gives us some examples in the remainder of this chapter that we're going to look at. It's kind of interesting how he words it. What this adds up to then is no more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. This is Paul's way of saying, hey, folks, cut the malarkey. Everything. Don't brag and exaggerate. Don't spread false stuff about your neighbors. Be honest or be quiet. Those are your two options. Be honest or be quiet. If you want to follow Christ, that's what you got to do. Then he goes on. He says this. It's kind of, kind of funny that he puts this in this order. Or maybe his editors did. <coughs> but it says this, Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Now, sometimes you get angry. You just can't help it. I saw a guy ride past my house this week, and I know he was angry with me because I had my sprinklers going and they weren't all that well adjusted. So I'm sitting in my home office looking out the window there on Dykstra Road, and my sprinkler was spraying clear across the road. And somebody came by in a brand new shiny Silverado that looks like he just had it washed, maybe detailed even. And I sprayed it with that hard water. And I'm not very good at reading lips. But I could see what he was saying. 
So I went out and adjusted the sprinkler. But it does happen. Sometimes you get angry. And how you respond to that anger reveals your spirit. Just don't stay angry. You know, we as humans have been endowed with a gift that the rest of creation doesn't have. And that is we have reason and logic that God has given us as gifts. So we don't have to stay angry. We can think things through and then get rid of that anger. We don't have to let our passions and our emotions rule us because we've been given the gifts of reason and logic. So he says, make your anger brief. You can't help it. You're going to get angry. That same Volkswagen that I showed you pictures of didn't have air conditioning in it. And one summer I was doing an internship as a church planner in southern Idaho, in Mormon territory. We were trying to plant a church. And southern Idaho's got really interesting agriculture. They get seven inches of rain a year, so everything has to be irrigated. Now, when I was there, I never saw a potato field, but I saw sugar beets and alfalfa were the main crops that they were growing. But they had these big irrigation sprinklers going. And I'm riding around with a window rolled down. It didn't have electric windows in that Volkswagen. And one of those sprinklers hit me, took the sunglasses right off my face. I had to, you know, contact one of the elders to learn some profanity to address that, of course. But it was, it was just a, a, an anger-causing time. But then I got over it right away, you see. That's what Paul is saying here. It's make your anger brief. Don't give the devil any opportunities because he'll take the anger and trip you up with it. Then he throws this one in. Did you used to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job so you can help others who can't work. And it's interesting he puts this in there. Get a job so you can help others. See, Paul, you know, was raised as a Pharisee. He had 613 rules. He had to follow all these religious actions, say his prayers at certain times during the day. And in Colossians, he says, that is scubala. That is rubbish. That doesn't matter. What matters is how you treat each other as believers. It's all about that. And this is the same thing. He said, don't live off somebody else if you have to. Get a job so you can help other people. It follows that same principle that's woven throughout the New Testament. And then it goes on. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps each word a gift. That's good advice, but it definitely goes against the crowd. He says, let your words help or be quiet. Because quiet is better than foul. Nasty talking breaks God's heart. It's what the crowd does. But you are different because you have found Jesus. So you don't want to cause God grief. In fact, Paul segues right into that next. He says, don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. See, this means that you respond to how God is trying to change you. 
He's working on me every day. When I listen to him, I see the changes happen. But he's saying, get rid of all the nastiness that's in you and that sprouts up from time to time. He wants to replace it with a kind and caring spirit. He wants to reform you, to transform you, to change you. He goes on with this, a lot about language here. He says, make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. So in other words, if your words aren't positive, just keep your yapper shut. It's very simple. Put that in Michigan language. That just means, you know, you're not going to be positive. Be quiet. It's a good thing. Gentle and sensitive is better. Forgive. Don't be like the crowds. Let it go. Do these things. That's how Paul describes the transformed person. Now, I'm using the word sheeple today, which is a combination of the word sheep and people. And I don't know that much about sheep, but I do know that they can be docile and easily influenced. I used to run past a pasture like that when I lived in South Dakota. I had a golden retriever that ran with me and she would sometimes trip me because there were always coyotes lurking around trying to get the lambs from that herd of sheep. They were easily influenced. You know, sheep are very social animals. They don't like to be by themselves. And if one of them gets away from the herd, they'll come back because they don't like to graze by themselves. And they don't like to be driven. They're kind of like cats that way. You can't herd them. They like to be led. And sometimes, you know, the old boy, the, the grandpapa sheep, is the leader of the herd. Like this old boy here at the state fair, he's led quite a few sheep in his day. He's about uh, five or six years old there and weighs, I think, 450 pounds is what they weighed him in at. But I sat and watched the sheep show for a little while, and these rams sometimes lead the sheep. And sometimes they'll let humans lead them, humans that they trust. Sometimes they will follow those humans blindly. Now, sheeple are people who are easily influenced. This photograph is of a Black Friday sale at the Mall of America in 2017. And those folks there in that line can be so catty and trivial. Now, folks, I promise you, you will never see me shopping on Black Friday. I hate shopping, and I absolutely would hate it if it was crowded. But, you know, that's why God created Amazon, so we don't have to go to places like that. But the interesting thing is, is that people are pushing and shoving, and they're all, they all bought all the lies, like, oh, if you get in line, you're going to maybe save $3 on this television set, and it'll be worth your while. So stand in line for four hours and throw things at people. They're self-centered, controlled by feelings, Sheeple are, and manipulated by marketers. And the marketers are the wolves that devour the sheep. Because the marketers want to get you in debt, 
and then the banks will like you because you're paying lots of interest. They want to make you materialistic and in debt, and you're going to end up anxious and depressed because you can't make ends meet. So what Paul is saying here is don't be a sheeple. Don't be a part of the empty-headed, mindless crowd. God has better things planned for you, an entirely new way of life, a way of life that emphasizes to love and to serve. And when you do that, happiness will sneak up on you. So I encourage you to be a rebel. That's what we are called to do. Be a rebel. Don't follow the crowd. Don't be a sheeple. Be a little weird. Okay? It's good to be weird. Be unusual. Be a nonconformist. Because that's how God is trying to reform you, to transform you. Don't be like the general public. You are called to represent Jesus, and you, have to, you get to be different. As Paul said in Romans 12, he said this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let's pray together. Lord, I don't think there's anyone here who doesn't want what you offer. We all want to be different. We don't want to conform to the crowd. We want to make things better for you. So give us the guts to do that. Amen. We're going to receive our offering now. And to our online audience, this is part of every worship service. We are running a deficit. Uh, we've had a lot of building maintenance this year that has really socked us along with inflation. So we're about 28 grand behind our projection, and we need some help with that. Uh, if you are, as our online audience, wish to contribute, just go to our website, and there will be directions on there to make that happen. And for the rest of you here, thanks so much for your generosity in August. We reduced the deficit quite a bit in August. That was a good thing. And uh, so thank you for that. And also, uh, while the uh, plate is being passed, if you don't mind entering your names on the pads and letting us know that you're here.